Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Inside Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. I'm your host, Matt Aldous, and I know what you're thinking. I'm not usually the host. And that is true. I'm usually the producer. I'm sat behind the computer. But unfortunately, we are strapped for people in the office today. And Bron Weatherby, who was going to be hosting today's show, is she's been called off to court. And as she is a reporter, you can't really blame her for that. She's had to go and do her actual job, uh, which has left me in this position. So just so you know, I apologise in advance for all of the mistakes I'm probably going to make. But that doesn't mean it's a bad show. It's a really good show. And before we do get into that, you can go and rate and review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. A review is so good. It's so It, it helps us so much in terms of visibility and getting the message out there. So please go and uh, rate and review the show if you have a couple of minutes or or just even a, a few seconds just to give us a few stars i mean five's my favorite number but i'm not gonna try and influence you on that um, and you can go and follow us on twitter as well at ibl podcast you can join in the conversation that way today is a great show and i am super excited about it we've got chris nichols on the show chris nichols is our video editor and this is a conversation actually we managed to record with bron so bron is is carrying out this interview which is great stuff. I was in the room though, and I can contest it's a really good conversation. Chris talks to us about his role as video editor, what it entails, how he got into video editing and how he got into news, why he chose all of that stuff. And we talk a bit about advertising and the importance of it, despite it being a contentious topic. So that is a great conversation. And then next on the show, we have Dan Chipperfield. Uh, Can't say his last name. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm so sorry, Dan. Dan Chipperfield, our trends writer, he looks at trending content. He tries to find content that will suit our Bristol audience um, and and try and sort of find those quirky stories that can be in the nationals as well as uh, in our local or on our local uh, website. We sort of talk about social media and, and the difference between trending content and local, you know, hyper-local journalism. So that is really good. And uh, Dan's great, great guy and had a great chat with him. I did that conversation. So, you know, I'm proud. I'm proud. It was the first time I was very nervous, uh, but but I think it went all right. And then last on the show, we haven't had this conversation yet, but it's going to be Michael Yong yet again. He is on the show. So uh, don't worry, there is going to be a regular voice for you as he seems to be on every week at this point. But he is going to be talking about something he's worked on for a long, long time, months and months. And it's all around homelessness. Um, it is quite heavy. So if you don't want to listen to anything sort of hard hitting, then that conversation will be at the end of the episode, but just to warn you, um, there is, you know, that that is going to be there. But still, I urge you to listen to it because it is extremely important stuff. And Michael does such fantastic work working uh, around homelessness and education and, and things like that. So I think you should listen to it, guys. But uh, it will be at the end of the episode. Uh, I, I think that's enough of me rambling. I will get straight into the first conversation. This is Bron and Chris Nichols talking about his role as a video editor. My name is Chris Nichols and I'm the video editor. I think a lot of people would think that sounds like a pretty cool job. What does it exactly entail? My job basically covers everything video related, Mm. whether that be going out and filming things, 
um, or editing video content that's sent in from photographers or members of the public. It also involves sourcing video from social media. Basically to add into stories, isn't it? To make story, you know, videos that are relevant to the stories that we are making every day. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So sometimes the stories can be about the videos themselves. If the video is um, like a dash cam video or some CCTV footage from court, um, and sometimes the videos will will go alongside a story to kind of add extra explanation to to what's being talked about. I mean, we we've done some some great stuff together because I think there's all that sort of stuff that all the videos that you see that kind of yeah one enhance a story or two are the story, um, but also you get a chance. Well, I've had the opportunity with you before as well to do some really creative stuff. Um, like getting out there and and doing some I remember we did where did we we went to the air ambulance didn't we the um the air ambulance field and did loads of filming there with like the crew members and stuff that was really fun I really enjoyed that yeah that was really good it was it was a good example of why a video is really important to to that story because the story covered the kind of ins and outs and and all the kind of details of what the the air ambulance does but the video you had the air ambulance in front of you you had the, the equipment and you got to see the people that, that work on, on the, the helicopter. So, and, and that will only come across in the video, I think. Yeah. Do you think that's why there's such an onus now on having video? You know, why, why is it so important? Yeah, I think we're used to seeing video. I think through um, sort of social media, like Facebook and things like that works. We're sort of used to seeing video in, in what we look at now. So, and, and also video can get across things that sometimes the words can't you know mm. if, if there's if there's a major incident like a fire you know you might look into the distance and see like a plume of smoke and we can write about that but if we've actually got a video of the fire and the fire engines mm. you can get a real idea of, of how big the incident is absolutely and I think we certainly here at Bristol Live we work so that um, both the writing and the videos complement each other it's not a kind of either or sit- situation is it um, you want both to be as good as each other ideally yeah that's right we we, we want them to to complement each other and, and so we try and make the the videos go along with the stories it's not necessarily the same information um, as as the story it's, it's kind of sometimes it could be a short down a shortened down version for people that are kind of in a rush and they just want to know what's going on um, they can then, if they choose to, go down and read the story. Mm. But in other cases, it's, it's kind of um, useful information of, you know, if, if the story is about a crime, like a, like a bike theft, we can add a video alongside that, giving you examples of how you can protect your own bike so you wouldn't fall victim to, to this sort of thing. How do you get into something like video editing uh, for a what is essentially a newspaper but a news website um you know because I think quite a few people would be interested in doing that like how what is your background so my background is video production but for uh businesses so I used to make product videos and film product launches film conferences basically anything that you've seen where you've seen a product a product being shown off that's the sort of things I used to film Right. Um, also, videos with celebrities—just anything you can think of, really. But what but kind of celebrities? I've met Jeremy Clarkson. 
What did you think of Jeremy Clarkson without being libelous? <laughs> he, he he was pretty similar to how he was in real life, to be honest. Really, he, he was okay. Yeah, yeah. He didn't shower anyone, so that was that was that was a, a plus. That is a bonus. Yeah, yeah, when Jeremy Clarkson doesn't shout at someone. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've done some work with Krishna Guru Murphy who actually was a very nice guy. Interesting. So, yeah, very nice so you've got to do some pretty interesting things through, uh, you know, making videos, essentially, moving pictures. Yes, I have, yeah. yeah. Um, in, you know, in previous roles, I've, I've managed to travel all over the place, across Europe and, and United States, and um, done some filming in Dubai. So yeah. it's, it's taken me all over the place as well. Yeah. What did you do before that? Like, how did you get into it um, in terms of qualifications? So I actually uh, studied uh, media at college um, and then after that I sort of took a year out to decide what I wanted to do next, whether that was uni or something else. Um, and in that time I managed to get a job working for an events company and they did events like conferences and launch events, but they also did video production. And so while I was there, I, I basically took on the video side of it. So that's basically how I got into it. Yeah, it's like getting your foot in the door like anything, you know, to kind of, you just go down that avenue, don't you really? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and and with the, that sort of scenario, you tend to learn very quickly because cause you just go and you, you film things at the actual event. So it's a case of there's no kind of practice run. You've got to go and you've got to get it there's right. There's no the doing first. it again as well. It's an event. It's that, a one-off. That's it. That's yeah. it. So you just, you, you might make your mistakes, but you've learned from them and the next time you don't do them again. Yeah. You know, what led you into the news kind of website side of it? Because that is entirely different. You know, it's not commercial. It's a different ball game, really. Um, I found myself wanting to tell stories, essentially, which I knew would come from news. You know, with the business side of things, there are stories, but a lot of it is is kind of very... It's it's just commercial, so so it's just here's a product. This is this is what this is what it does. This is where you can get it. Whereas with news, it's it's a little bit more unpredictable, um, and you meet all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds, and you never know what you're gonna come across that day. Mm. And I found that quite appealing. I think that's why. Well, it's personally one of the reasons I got into journalism, but I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of people get into journalism itself. I mean, you've come through a different avenue, but you've ended up at journalism because you want to tell stories and meet people and have a day that isn't regimented and it's different and you you never know what life is going to throw at you in this job, do you? No. Um, you said about stories. What what, is, what kind of story has had the most impact on you, do you think, since starting funnily enough one of the the sort of stories that i worked on was was with you on the the homeless series that we did last year yeah street lives street yeah. lives yeah and what what i found interesting about that was obviously you you sort of got to meet the people and you got to see their their individual personalities and understand their stories and i think that really kind of it almost answered a lot of questions i had myself um but i think it sort of changed my whole view of of people that are homeless and how they ended up there. Um, and it was good to to make the videos because if if my views were changed, hopefully lots of other people's views were going to be changed too. Well, that's it. I remember, I remember having this conversation with you because, you know, my views on certain things will also change or at least my perception of things were changed. Um, and I remember having that kind of conversation with you and we were both saying, well, this is kind of what we wanted to do. This is what we wanted to offer with these videos, with these stories, is a chance for people to really understand 
um, actually the complexities of what what is going on in these people's lives. And now we understand that. We think that, you know, it's ready to kind of go out there and, and, and show other people what it what it's like as well. Yeah. So it's like a process. I always tell people we're not just writing news for people. We absorb that news as well. Um, it's something that we learn from and that we put out there as well. So we're kind of changed by it. Particularly video, though. Video and pictures, they have an impact on you, don't they? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Again, with with those videos, you not only got to hear the stories, you know, read the stories of these people, but you got to meet them and see their individual personalities because that came across on the video. You know, how they talk, you know, how they interacted with you. That really came across, but you'd only find that with the video, I think. Mm, Absolutely. One thing that people find a bit annoying about our website in general uh we get a few complaints about this only a few um is the is adverts on our website and obviously there are adverts before the videos play but there are reasons for those so you you were saying that you get emails about the kind of adverts and how annoying they are what what is usually your reply to people well it's it's basically how how we we pay for everyone to be here to do their jobs um and it also allows us i feel to be kind of impartial because the the money is coming from the advertising so that leaves us to get on with you know reporting on the news as we we feel best we're not kind of following any particular agenda because of where the money's coming from yeah and like you said it's what enables us to be paid essentially so that we can we can provide that news to to the city in the way that we do what do you think of of advertising and would, would you you know push for a different form um i i don't see it as, as a problem because it's everywhere that you that you um look you know when you watch tv there's there's adverts you watch news on the tv and there's adverts before it in the middle of it after it but because it's kind of it's, it's always been there you don't question it but because this is kind of where, you know, a news website and people are used to just seeing in the past, just seeing words. And now we've got videos with adverts on. I think they they kind of notice it more. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. What um, what do people that, you know, think of what you do now? I think people find it very interesting um, for, for the reasons we said earlier. You know, some days I, 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 I talk to them about something I've been working on, like uh, CCTV footage from a court case, which is, you know, quite scary. And then the next day I tell them that I've been in a hot air balloon filming, you know, aerial views of Ashton Court. So it's very changeable and, and you've always got something new to tell people. So I think I think my friends and the people I know probably feel that my job's quite interesting, mm. which is. What are some of the things that when you started, so cast your mind back to when you actually started at the Bristol Post Slash Live, what were some of the things that you noticed or learned about the kind of industry um, of journalism? Probably the, the speed of it all. It's, it's the speed of getting the stories out there, but doing it properly, mm. you know, getting the facts straight at such a pace um, from from my previous background. You know, you could you had the, the comfort of being able to sort of as, f- get things as right as you felt they needed to be. But you could send them to someone and someone would go, yeah, that's fine, but we don't like that bit. And they'd send it back and you could change it. But with this is you've got to make sure it's right yeah. before you click go on it because because it has to be. 
Yeah, and usually as like a reporter, you, well, of course, you you are the sole video editor. So you'll send it to us sometimes when you're like, oh, have a look at this because, you know, it's a good video or it's funny or, you know, and we'll have, you know, we'll check and we'll usually watch them. But you are kind of where the buck stops with videos because you are the video editor and that you haven't got any sort of lowly video reporters underneath you, have you? So I guess you do have to make sure it's very right. Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. And and even if um, even if I'm not in the office and a, and a video's put on the website that I've had nothing to do with, if there's any problems with that, I've still got to deal with them as well. So mm. so it, it kind of does does end with me. Oh, I didn't realise that you had to deal with that. Well, I'll be a bit more careful in the future. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I think it's um, recently I've noticed that a lot of people I've spoken to over the phone or in person have been surprised at the pace that um, reporters will, you know, produce a story. You know, I'll speak to someone on the phone and they'll ask me, oh, when when is this going to go out? And I'll say, probably in the next hour or two. And then they'll say, oh, um, okay, that's quick. You know, because I don't, yeah, I don't think people realise, you know, once we've got all that we need for the story, video being one of those things, um, video, the interviews, the comment, you know, and I've written it, it's good to go, you know, and, you know, obviously it has to be edited, but it is quite fast paced. Is that something you enjoy now? Um, yeah, I'm used to it now. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it was, it was, it was a bit of a, a shock to the system. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, but, but now I've kind of changed the way I work to be able to, to um, accommodate how things work. You know, sometimes it's a case of working on several things at once. And as things become ready, that's when you, you put them on the website. I mean, I think we should tell the listeners as well that um, you are going to be having an increasing role in this podcast. Our esteemed producer, Matt Aldous, is, uh, I think, going to newer heights or <laughs> he's just looking. He's not got a mic on today, so he can't talk as much. It's an advantage, really. Uh, we could say anything. Um yeah, no, he's he's leaving to bigger and better things to bring the world of podcasting to a lot of uh, new people, and you're going to be taking over, Chris. Like, what? How do you feel about that? Yeah, taking over from Matt is going to be quite interesting. He's, <laughs> he's a lot more experienced in in podcasting than oh, I. Oh, stop stroking his ego. I know, I know. He sat next to me. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be uh, another uh, another kind of feather to your cap. Yeah. String to your bow. I think I think that covers it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And, uh, of course, um, the decision about who's actually taking over as as host, <coughs> me, has not been made yet. Um, but we might be alternating. So it might be good. We might get different presenters in and still keep, you know, a bit of a, a variety of life as well with who we get on to speak to. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. Well, it's been good speaking to you, Chris. Thank you. Thanks. I think you can agree that was a great conversation, super interesting, and video is obviously very important nowadays, especially in a news capacity. Uh, And Bron mentioned there that I am leaving too, uh, which is kind of true. I'm working for the same company, but I'm going to be helping other centres do do podcasting and things like that. So that's what she was referring to. Uh, But... It's not important right now. It's not important. If she were here, we'd probably have a little chat about it. But anyway, that was a great conversation. So thanks to those guys. Next up, we've got myself and Dan Chipperfield, the trends writer, talking about trending content. 
Hi, I'm Daniel Chipperfield and I'm the trends writer for Bristol Life. So I think this means we've started started the interview, which is weird. I'm not supposed to be doing it, but Bron's been taken away from hosting duties because she's off at court. So forgive me. Um, and it's, it's not something that I norm- normally do. I think we'll muddle through together. <laughs> we will, we'll, we'll have to try, yeah. Hopefully it'll be all right. I, I don't, I'm not as uh, experienced as, as a host as as maybe some of the other guys. Can you just explain a little bit about your your job and, and what you do in the newsroom? Yeah, I think it's, it's a new role you're seeing in a lot of um, uh, online websites um, where basically especially regional uh, newspapers are looking for stories that are outside of their physical patch of for example bristol stories from elsewhere or national stories that their readers can still be interested in and i and i spend my day looking around seeing looking for those stories that i think will interest our bristol readers and what sort of so so there's kind of there's a balance there's a balance between still trying to I guess still trying to engage the local audience uh, as yeah. well as not just doing something to, for the sake of doing it because it's it's gone national so you're still trying to find those those areas yeah, that exactly. you, it's either got to be of interest or it's got to impact them or simply inform them so yeah you can't just churn out any na- national news uh, for example anything to do with Trump Bristol people whilst probably are interested in news about Trump and American politics, well, they don't want to see it coming from Bristol Live. So there is a, mm. a, a line to pull. And I suppose a, a lot of it is just a trial, a trial and error to find out what stuff they do like and yeah. what they don't. <laughs> so how much how much trial and error do you think you, uh, you've you done so far? Uh, I, I would say like every day is trial and error. Like We've got people here who have been doing it for years and are still surprised for the story either does really well or does poorly when we we assumed the the opposite essentially mm. so it's always a i think a, a changing pattern of what people want to see you said you said and you said it said it's like a, a new role right so it's yeah. a g- relatively new role across different regions and things and more pa- papers are sort of employing somebody to look after trending content what sort of drew you to to wanting to to enter into that role well, I, I I quite like uh, for me it's like the challenging uh, the challenge of finding uh, those stories. You can cover a, a local passion and cover those stories, uh, but with my job, it's explicitly looking for the stories that will do the best, like that have the most interest, to engage our readers the most. Um, so it, it's kind of like uh, the almost the creative side of it. What what can I find or? make essentially that will get the biggest reaction from our readers because every report all that with all their stories they want them to be read widely and be interested in mm. but so but can be restrained that they have to cover a certain patch or a certain area so some stories won't ever break boundaries or anything like that by the nature of it but with this it's a bit more free realm to look for the biggest and best stories so what what piques your interest when you are out on the hunt for for something um, that can work as a piece of trending content. Um, I don't really know, to be honest. It's things like I quite like the the quirky ones, like obscure laws, random factoids, um, things like that. We did a story yesterday um, that came originally from uh, the Mirror about um, the fact that Prince William and Kate Middleton don't actually have full legal custody of their children. Really? Yeah. But, um, that's, a, a, that's mad. Well, yeah, it would be the same for Prince Harry and Meghan if they ever... Uh, why, why is that? Because I haven't seen that story. Why is, I'm, just, I'm interested now. <laughs> uh, see, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I would tell you to go click on the story, but it's probably a bit unfair. Um, no, it's something to do about, um, uh, I think it was George, uh, King George, one of the 
King George, I can't remember which, right. made, uh, made a new rule that the, the sovereign who's ever in charge has the custody of the children. So basically they don't get led astray if there's rivalries within the monarchy. Uh, okay. So, of course, these days uh, the Queen's not going to cause too much of a fuss with that, but um, it's still actually in law. So still yeah, written down. Is it one of those sort of neglected laws that's just never been readdressed? Or? I think so. Although I think it would be quite interesting. One day the Queen thinks that they're sending him to the wrong, uh, him it, to the yeah. wrong school. It's like, no, you've got to go to this school and it takes him away. God, that is mad. That's not something you probably think about if you're having a I mean I wonder if they were even aware of it when they well were. yeah exactly I wonder whether Kate would have been so keen to, to marry Prince William if she knew that she wouldn't actually have custody of her own children so that's out the way yeah. <laughs> so you, it, it, trending content to me because I I am I, about to do start a new role but my role up until this point other than the podcast has been to social media editor so trending content to me has always been something that i look at from a social perspective and a social yeah. media perspective is that something that you do as well oh yeah hugely um and like i was saying about getting that reaction place you see that now is on facebook or on twitter you see the comments you see the uh, the emojis people are using and that gives you a great indicator of how your story's been received, but also like what people's interests are and like and how you do follow-ups because a few weeks back we had a um uh, outbreak of a stomach bug a bit like norovirus right and so many people were sharing with other people to tell them oh this is probably what you've got etc but also uh, people were saying oh whether they had norovirus or not so i did another story to clarify what was the difference between norovirus and oh so you're virus. using that information to to inform your yeah exactly. your next pieces yeah it's just being about part of the conversation what are people's thought patterns at the moment what are they thinking in their heads and and trying to at least trying to answer those questions a lot of the time yeah i, I imagine you see quite a lot of negative comments as well when yeah. you go because it, it oh, sort yeah. of comes with the territory <laughs> but when you do see something it, being engaged with well on, on facebook and it's getting you know hundreds of comments or, or whatever and it's doing well you can see it you see people are reading it you see people are, are engaging with it how is that how does that feel is that yeah it's great i mean i'm and I think like most of us, we're quite competitive by nature. We can all see our own page views and how we're all doing it. And you always want to do better and more, better than the other guy and improve on what you did previously. But also just to see people like it's having an effect, whether it's just amusement, interest or shock or whatever to people um, with what you're doing. It's, uh, it's really cool. And it's really weird. I mean, I'm sure it's the same for every other newspaper. The ones where they're complaining, this isn't news, or why are you covering this, are always guaranteed to be like some of the most popular stories of the day that, pe- that most people are actually reading. Yeah. So I think some people like don't like the idea of where we are, what news we are now covering, even though we know that is actually what people want to read. And yeah, I wonder, I wonder how much of that is just statistical, because obviously if mm. more people are reading it, it's got a better chance of the people that see it uh, sort of will have that reaction inevitably because well, yeah, if twel- so, yeah. only 12 people commented on it exactly yeah. it's not I don't you, you might get one comment that's like oh this is rubbish no fair point yeah but the rest are fine but when you've got hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands more of those people and Facebook I think tends to have a weird habit of always bringing those ones to the top the neg- to like yeah, the, the most, negative ones the most yeah. important the negative ones and I wonder why that is but it it, ma- it makes it to me especially as a just going through Facebook and and sort of going about my day it makes me feel like that's all it is but then when yeah. you do actually read through all the comments 
nine times out of ten, most of it can be quite positive. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if it's like a psychological thing where we just think. Yeah, maybe as humans we react more to negative comments. Um, so then you see that more prevailing, even yeah. though the majority are have a positive reaction to that story. You only you do only see negative things. Maybe it's our human nature. But yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I'm sure, and I'm sure that there is. That, I mean, it is always the most popular story, and you sort of want to say, uh, you probably think it as well, yeah. but you sort of want to say like, this is the best story we've had of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What so people care. Yeah. Like people are reading it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we know what we're doing. It's not, and it, and it's another weird one where people think that they know how to do the product better than us because at the end of the day it's a product in a lot of ways mm, and you don't right. see people complaining no your Nike your shoes are rubbish <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> These, I guess. this isn't how to make shoes it's a weird yeah it's a good example because in that those circumstances people that think Nike shoes are rubbish just don't engage with Nike yeah exactly yeah yeah so it, in terms of where you got started because you obviously came into this role from another role before yeah how, like how did you get into journalism uh I was uh, finishing uni and uh, my dissertation was about um, uh, what What did you did you study journalism oh at sorry yes yeah, yeah. Uh, no I, it was history and politics at uni oh, okay um, I did a dissertation on the uh, Soviets in Afghanistan during the Cold War right and I was just reading about all these journalists um, uh, and their exploits there and I thought well that looks like a lot of fun rather than reading about journalism uh, history uh, they're actually being part of it um, so that's what uh, got me signed up to a uh, a journalism course, so a diploma for six months in London. Right. And then loads of work experience after that. And then I've been at various places in Gloucestershire ever since. And then a few months back. When you were doing there. that course, in the, that six month course in uni, cause it, um, after uni, like you've obviously gone to do hist- history and politics. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've obviously gone with that idea. Did you have the idea of reporting and journalism in your head at that time? Or, or is it this no, course no. that really. Yeah, it was like I'd finished uni and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to get a job now. Well, I have no idea what I want to do. How do I transfer these skills? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was either that or, well, to be fair, or maybe a teacher I was thinking of. But um, no, it, it, yeah, I just did a couple of work experiences. I thought, yeah, this looks like fun. Um, yeah, you stuck out. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I, it's always it's always weird because I've got no journalistic background at all. Mm. Um, I just sort of, I don't know, I feel like maybe... Do you get interested by the stories that come in as much oh, as... Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, the the thing about trending content that interests me, because it's always a, 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 a topic, or at least it was for me before you uh, had arrived in the mm. in the newsroom, it was always a topic of contention. Yeah, yeah, of like yeah, yeah, what yeah. goes on Facebook, trending content uh, yeah, te- would tend to get more engagement, um, even if it got less sort of... Yeah, no, I know click-throughs exactly or readership yeah, yeah. or whatever. But there is a, a balance between, you know, hard-hitting sort of local stories oh, and local journalism and, and the trending content. And I think they're both as important as each other. But it's a difficult game to play with, mm. especially when it comes to social media, because it does feel like that tr- the, the trending pieces can often do consistently better. And it's not that the stories are worse or anything like that. It no, just no, seems no. like that that type of audience yeah. is just looking for that quick bit of distraction from their from their day. Yeah, and I think so. Yeah, yeah. It would feel like a sure thing if yeah, Asda is selling cider for three quid. <laughs> like it just. What are you saying about Bristol? <laughs> <laughs> well, I went for that one because it's a local reference, right? Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it seems it does seem like about. Do you find that balance is is quite difficult? Do you? Uh, yeah, struggle I mean, with that or. Well, I uh, 
Yeah, it's a funny one because that by its nature of trending, you're trying to interest as many people as possible. Mm. So if it is a good bit of trending content, it should do well. But it is that balance because ultimately it is a Bristol publication for Bristol people. If you start doing less and less Bristol stories, you'll lose its identity mm. and we'll not see as many people coming to it for Bristol news. So Because we do have great local stories, like really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they don't always get the readership that they deserve. I think that has had to have become a part of what we do, this trending stuff, because it brings in more people and more interest for a wider audience because uh, we need the numbers. But we will always in need to rely on those good cracking stories, even if they don't get re- as much reach as that trending stuff. That's always gonna, that's always got to be central to what we do. And the trending stuff is um, to extra, if that makes sense. Mm, right, okay. So, but yeah, I think it's a, it's just a day-to-day balancing consideration. You're looking at what's coming in, what stories you have. Because, um, for example, today we've got a, a cracking day of uh, stories, we've got the GCSE results with Young E, yeah. um, some bigger court cases coming up you'll probably hear about later. So you'll probably won't see much of my trending stuff. Um, which will be used for quieter days when there isn't as much hard-hitting Bristol stuff. Does that get, on a day-to-day basis, does that get frustrating? Or, or are you sort of comfortable with the idea that no, it, um, it would be, you you think, oh, well, it will be used on the weekend or, or Yeah, whatever. exactly, yeah. I um, No, I understand, because my previous job, I was a news editor for, up in Gloucestershire, so I was always using a mixture of trending and news stuff. And so I understand that you do need that balance. Those in, decisions, yeah. And... In a perfect world, you just have hard-hitting Bristol stories coming out every hour and stuff. But obviously, you're going to have a lull by the nature of it. So you need those little bits of trending to come in to, to fill the gaps almost. So yeah. um, No, I don't get too frustrated. I mean, I always think each and every one of my stories should be Facebook straight away. But I'm also, the other side of me knows that I'm just a small part, small cog. <laughs> small, and I don't, I don't think, you know, not well, a significant cog. <laughs> you've, you've got, yeah, you've got, if it's, a, it might, even if it is a small cog, it's an extremely integral cog. If that comes out, then... Oh, oh, thank you, Matt. It's all gonna, it's all gonna come crashing <laughs> down. Don't be that bad. <laughs> thank you very much for talking to me. Cheers, Matt. Thank you. Big thanks to Dan there for uh, coming on the show and chatting about his job. It's not always easy to to sit there and talk about what you do for a living. It's, it's maybe kind of feels a bit like bragging, but but it, it's not. It's definitely not. And it's dead interesting stuff. And thanks to Dan for coming on the show and talking about trending content. I think it's a massive part of what we do now and, uh, and, and super important. And I'm glad you guys got to sort of hear you know, hear what's going on and and why we do it. So thanks to Dan for that. Now, next up and lastly, we've got Michael Young on the show, our resident guest who seems to be on every week, but he is on talking about something really serious. It is something that he's been working on for a very, very long time, uh, an investigation he's been doing around homelessness and particularly, I think, around deaths and things. Now, I don't know too much about this, but I'm sure I'll find out you know, when we go into the conversation. But uh, this is me and Michael Yong talking about his investigation into homelessness. Well, we all know who you are anyway, really? because you're on here every week. <laughs> I know, um, I know. <laughs> but you're on here for good reason every week. 
Hopefully, <laughs> no. I think I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty solid. I think it, you you should be because you've got important stuff to say yeah. and talk about. Yeah. Uh, like this week, I don't really know what it is you're going to be talking about properly. Yeah, but can you just talk us through the pre- the premise and 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 what it is you're you're going to be chatting about today? Yeah. So um, over the last year, we spent a long time looking at um, the number of homeless people who have died in Bristol. However, every time we talk about the number of homeless people who die in Bristol, it is just that. It's just a number. And I got a little bit sick of it because I write about numbers of homeless people so often when actually I need to write about homelessness or the people. And sometimes writing about numbers, you desensitize it. And so I decided to see if I can find the names of every homeless person who's died in Bristol wow, really? over the last five years. Um, it proved and a real expedition because nobody kept a record the council kept a record that as i found out was just massively wrong they had mistakes in every single record bar one and um the coroners didn't keep a a specific record for homeless people and neither did the government or the police nobody did and um the idea was saying Actually, quite a lot of people have died on the streets. Now, I was obviously inspired to write this story in about May last year when a a man who was street homeless, uh, I got to know very well. His name is called Michael Angel and I've written a lot about him. And um, Michael died at the same time, was found dead at the same time there was a protest going on in the city centre. And all our attention all the media's attention, not just us, was on that protest, which was at the Barclays in, in brought me. Everyone was just looking at that, reporting from that. But what really happened less than 200 yards from there was a man who died. And the only problem was that nobody reported on it, not even us, because he was homeless. And so it didn't seem important enough. And when I found out who it was, um, over that weekend, uh, it really did break my heart because just a few weeks before we we sat down and we had dinner together, and it was really nice. Why, why do you why do you think that, it, in your opinion, like why do you think it is deemed less important just mm. because somebody is homeless? Because it seems ridiculous, like yeah. to to me and and probably to you, mm. that it would be seen as less important. But why do you think that is that, that on a on a larger scale? Why do you yeah, think? Yeah, that's a really really good question because. Obviously, the protest was a lot more visual. They had banners that were written into the pavement. They stopped the bank from opening. They were on the rooftop. A cherry picker had to drive down Port Meat to get them. Um, and it was visual. It was loud. There was police cars everywhere. But um, one of the reporters who was covering it, um, she, at the same time, saw the ambulance at brought me in front of Debenhams and they, you know, she texted me to say homeless men has died, but the cherry picker has just turned up. And I was thinking, well, if you were a news reporter, cherry picker drives into brought me or hospital in brought me or ambulance in brought me. I mean, it's, it's quite easy to understand why you would pick the cherry picker because it's massive. It's tall. It's such a visual sight. Um, certainly the homeless man, Michael, you know, he was, uh, I met his girlfriend who found him, who, who was, you know, sleeping next to him and she had found him unresponsive in the morning and I found her a week later and she was not in a good place. You know, she uh, really, really struggled with his death because they've been together for about a year 
and uh, she she just couldn't sort of comprehend not having anyone on the streets with her. Michael did really really love her. Um, I remember a couple of weeks before when we were sitting down, he had told me he bought a golden necklace and he spent a lot of money on it uh, for her. And I went, why do you get to spend that on dinner or you know food for a couple of days? But she, and he said, yeah, but that would be very selfish. And that's that's the kind of person Michael was. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's terribly sad, but uh, at the same point that sort of triggered me to start looking into it. And then the one that really triggered me into actually um, looking for names was last year when I was out with Feet Homeless and um, a man, a homeless man who looked like he was in his maybe late 50s, early 60s, just collapsed on us. And we had to do CPR. He had no pulse. And the paramedics came along and then they carried out the CPR. And then I tried to find him after and nobody knew what happened to him. Ambulance service didn't know what happened to him. Police didn't know what happened to him. The other rough sleepers did not know what happened to him. We got his first name as Mike, but there was no admission under the name Michael that night. Until this day, I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if he's still alive. Uh, And then I realised, okay, this is really important. It was not just about numbers. Yeah, definitely. I mean compiling a list of names it's, it's i mean it seems on paper it seems like that's going to be a piece of cake hmm. but how what was your first step like how did you go about starting to to even because obviously it ended up taking months and months oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. how what really, was your first yeah. step into actually trying to uh start to form this list and then when at what point did you realize just how difficult it was going to be yeah when um we were approached by the Bureau of Investigative Journalism and they are a network of local journalists. They've got their own journalists as well. Fantastic organisation, not-for-profit. And they um, they spoke to us about a project called Dying Homeless and seeing if we can get counting. And I said, well, we can go further. We can get their names, really. Let's do that. But um, we wrote a story saying that we were going to join the project and it, it prompted huge debate on both sides saying why are you doing this why are you not doing this and so what happens was um after that story went up somebody had leaked to me that there was a list somewhere and you had to try and get your hands on that list it's not public record you can't find it online um nobody would tell me what it was i've asked for it um and was not given it so we went down the route of putting in a FOI, a Freedom of Information request. And when that came back, we got date of death, except that it was not kept properly. You got the ages of the, of the men and women, except they were not right. And we got some names, except they were not right. <laughs> some wow. of them were not spelt correctly. And then we've got the circumstances around some of their death, where they were staying when they died. And even that... It was not specific. It would be like hostel accommodation. And so, you know, there was nothing standardised about it. And if you're, you know, this is 2018. If you're going to keep records, you've got to keep it, you know, properly. And so we went all the way back to 2013 and we looked through all the records. We went through, you know, thousands of death records. Um, And, you know, a shout out to the coroner's court for helping me with this project. It took us many months to try and put names. And when we finally got names, then we could start seeing actually 
the date of deaths were all wrong. They were wrongly recorded. The ages were wrongly recorded. Some of the names were spelled wrongly. Um, and some of them, you know, none of them had any record of inquest about what happened to them. Some of these men and women died from taking their own lives. Some of these men and women died because they were attacked. Some of these men and women died because they uh, abused drugs and or alcohol. And so there must be some sort of record so we can understand how to better help these people and not just let them die and become a number. Why do you think, why do you think the, there are so many mistakes in the records? Do you think it's just resource or, or? I mean, we're talking going back to the days of, of when the council were doing projects like, you know, when Bristol was, was a green city and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. We can't put the resource into taking care of, you know, essentially people who died in Bristol who were highly vulnerable and keep this in mind most of them except the rough sleepers most of them were in the state of were in the care of the state they were in high support accommodation or medium support accommodation when they died that means they were supposed to be supported when they died and that's just a point that I, I keep making when I wrote this story that many of these people were supposed to be supported they were recognised as supported and they were put in the housing accommodation so how did they die? Why did they die? So that's the question, yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, it baffles me. Mm. So you start. You started this project when? I would say it was really in the autumn of last year when, when that CPR incident happened. And, and then I started really looking into it. Right. We didn't put in the FOI until the start of this year however because I was looking at ways to get that information without having to put in FOI so how long did it take you to sort of formulate the list and how much further if you have any further to go with it have you, have you got to well, go well we've got 2013 to 2017 every name every circumstance around death and all the ages and date of deaths for the ones wow. that we have yeah. a death record for and that's 50 I am 99% sure that there are a lot more than 50. Unfortunately, yeah. it, it, we have not been able to find them. Um, I'm going to keep looking at 2018 figures. Just judging from the number of inquests I've gone to in 2018, it already looks more than 2017. Um, but again, you know, who is looking into them? Who is caring about them? Many of these inquests that I've gone to, nobody turns up. Literally. It's just me and the coroner set in a court. Really? Yes. There's no one, no one from the council, no one from, no, no one there to to keep no. pub, any public record. No, no council member, no support worker. Um, sometimes I get one friend or two, but they they're quite even shy even if they they are classed as being supported. Yeah. Do you find that that's the case? Yeah. Yeah. So they're listed as maybe living in. Um, uh, high support accommodation now I'm not obviously going to give the exact addresses of these high support yeah, accommodations yeah, yeah, but um, they are being classed as living in high support accommodation I think throughout this project I learned nearly where all of Bristol's high support accommodation you know are throughout Bristol because yeah. um, you wouldn't believe the number of records we've had to go through and so we, you, you learn the addresses of all these places so certainly now in the future, whenever these addresses come up on a coroner's list, I know straight away that they are homeless 
we must remember homeless is not just people sleeping on the street. Homeless yeah. are people who have not got their own home and it's put up in hostels, B&Bs and that sort of stuff, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, going through all of that, I mean, you obviously deal with a lot of hard-hitting uh, kind <laughs> of emotion. It's things that could probably play on your emotions quite a lot yeah. um, and maybe your own own mental health to some degree. But how how did it impact you as as the further and further down that list you were getting? How, mm. how were you starting to feel? Yeah, I mean, if I have to talk about how it affected me, I would say I had several sleepless nights and... Um, after this project was finished, every time I finish a, uh, maybe a, a project that I feel passionate about, I write. I tend to write in my own diary about it. Mm. I remember writing in my own diary saying, even an hour before publication, I had severe doubts about writing a list. There are real concerns about putting a list together, and I won't shy away from it. That Because nobody else in the country has done this before, um, I don't know what your reaction was going to be. You're bringing up some very difficult deaths from many years gone. Yeah. People have moved on. Um, that's not to say I did not believe in it. I believed in a project, but I had severe sort of doubts. I kept doubting myself about it. I couldn't sleep for... I remember once the list more or less came together, I couldn't sleep for days on end because I kept looking at that list and saying, what do I know about this man or woman who's died? essentially nothing i know how they died i know why they died but i don't know them i want to know them i want to know all 50 um and so it really did weigh down on my mind but also thinking am i ever going to get this list complete am i ever going to get this right if i'm going to criticize council or people for not keeping a record <laughs> i have to make sure you have sure to keep a record that yeah. the record is spotless and how do i make sure of that so, so that, yeah so there must have been a bit of anxiety around getting any of the details yeah. wrong yeah but I even mean, then like you're you're kind of just you i guess you're just digging through as much information as you can you don't you you don't know what you're going to find yeah if the record keepers can't get the record right it's difficult for you <laughs> it's to very little it, chance for a journalist you know, how are you going to find being yeah yeah that so I I don't I I don't I, don't, I wouldn't blame you if there I I mean knowing you I doubt there are any mistakes but um, how how many other people in, were involved with the whole the, the whole thing was this something that, that other places decided to do in their cities and, and things no, like that I mean, or was it most other cities I uh, was really inspired seeing um, some of the stories in other local papers and the way they covered them. It's not very different from the way we've been covering homelessness over the last two years. I'd say the ho- homelessness coverage in Bristol Live over the last two years have actually always been aimed towards a sort of that way, you know, Britain in a certain way so that we can try and understand the problem and not just criticise yeah. without knowing the problem and knowing, more importantly, the people. So I've seen other local papers take up the Dying Homeless Project. What no one has done is actually go and look for the names and numbers um, we have some places, some journalists which come up sort of similar, but again, they've got nowhere to start. Yeah, I am quite lucky here in Bristol that there was some semblance of a list, even if the list was wrong. I had some semblance of a list and therefore I, I've got a starting point. I'm sure other councils do that. It's whether you want to dig for it. Um, and, you know, if you talk about the, the project, you know, it was really just me. I kept it to myself for m- more than half a year um, right. because you don't want to pitch something <laughs> and then not deliver. And so um, once I had 
a good idea what the list looked like. I obviously spoke to my news editors about it. Um, and again, you know, the main person I spoke to was Bethan and you have heard from her last week. Yeah. Um, and so I spoke to her about how we're going to cover it. I spoke to um, our chief sub-editor or our print editor about how she was going to cover it and whether we're going to put a list together, whether something like that should go on the front page because, again, quite distressing. And so we had a lot of things to consider. Um, and I have to say, uh, the council have not been obstructive about it. And anyone thinks the, the council has tried to stop it you know, I have to tell them right now that actually the council haven't tried to stop any of this. Uh, nobody's tried to stop what I was doing, which I'm really thankful for. Um, there were a lot of stumbling blocks, but it was not because they were not put there on purpose. And especially the coroner's court, you know, the, the, the people, the admin people were at the coroner's court worked very, very hard to put this together. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Do you think that the council would potentially see this list and it it may help them to have a have a proper starting point to keep mm. better records i'm 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 i hope so um i people think that this piece was meant to criticize the council well that's that's them. just it i yeah. don't want to be sat here criticizing the council like yeah. like just over something exactly. it's not like that but it but it's do you think it will highlight to them that they need to do a better job with, with this yeah. sort of stuff? I mean, I, I did mention in a piece that the council needs to do a better job. It's a very long piece, and so I ask you to bear with when you're reading it. But the piece is really more to raise awareness to the fact that 50 people have died. And what we can do as an individual, when you next see a homeless person, maybe you can volunteer, you can donate food to a food bank, you can help out, you can stop to say hi. Again, it was hopefully going towards the individual reader rather than necessarily criticising somebody. Um, again, I can see why the council finds it difficult to keep a record, um, but it, that is not an excuse for them. It is difficult, yeah. but the best things are difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah uh, definitely. And, and uh, So hopefully this is a starting point. I know the council is starting to take this more seriously. And fair play to them that um, they've launched a sort of six-month project to do it properly and see where they get with it. And I think that's quite cool. I actually think that should be applauded. So um, well done, well done them. And I don't say that very often about the council. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it is something that I think probably goes, probably I can imagine gets pushed to the bottom of the pile through no fault of, uh, of you know, there might be a want to do it, to do it but it, mm. it may just not be high on the priority list. But it doesn't mean it's not important. Like yeah. one person's life in my eyes is, is not as important as the next person. Yeah. You know, it, it's there. The, every, everyone should be have yeah. an equal opportunity and be respected in, in exactly the same way. Exactly. If, if, a, if a scientist died, you know, you'd be sure that his death is recorded properly. So yeah. why not a homeless person? Exactly. Um, although... Obviously, like you rightly mentioned, you know, it might not be priority for them because really, the, and quite crudely, the priority for them is are people who are still homeless and still without a roof. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's right. Um, mm. So, yeah, um, but it needs to be done. And I'm hoping that this would trigger something more. Um, but let's see how far it goes. I mean, it really depends. I mean, I, I, I'm... I'm 
I'm hopeful it will. I'm, I'm con- no, I'm confident it will. I think it will. I mean, you've done 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 a really fantastic job. I like as I got, I've come into this conversation not knowing anything about it, yeah. um, and and now you know yeah. just being able to listen to you talk it, it has been fantastic. So thanks, thanks yeah, for talking thanks, to me. Man. Yeah, cheers. Some really, really eye-opening stuff there from Michael, and thanks to him for coming on the show. He always does such fantastic work around these types of topics, and he does not shy away from them. He really leans into them and and, uh, gives them the the merit they deserve because they are so important, especially, you know, not just to the city, but in this case, you know, homelessness is a problem that, that... it happens everywhere around the world and and I think it's great that Michael can come on the show and really highlight the importance of us being aware uh, of the the issue around homelessness and so thank you to him for coming on the show and chatting about that that is actually the end of the show guys that's it it's done I think I did okay I I hope I did okay you can tweet us go why don't yeah why don't you go and tweet at IBL podcast and let us know whether you think I did okay or not. And I'll just let you know now, I don't take rejection that well. uh, So please be nice. (laughs) But you can go and follow us at IBL podcast and you can rate, review, subscribe to the show. Please do that as well. It helps so much and it really helps push that visibility out. So please do that. Uh, You can do that on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Just please go and subscribe and, uh, and, and join in the conversation. Be part of the family. It's, it's fantastic. Now, next week, I think we've got uh, Christian Davis, who's going to be hosting the show, I hope. But if any, if today is anything to go by, it could be anyone at this stage. <laughs> but uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. I certainly enjoyed doing it, even if it was last minute. And, uh, and I look forward to recording this and putting this together for you next week. Uh, but until then, guys, I'm going to have to say goodbye. So goodbye. Goodbye.